Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. My name is Eric Wicklin, and I'm the Technology and Innovation Editor here at Health Leaders. Today, we're talking to John Corris, President and CEO of the Florida Health Sciences Center, which includes Tampa General Hospital. Since taking the helm in 2017, he's created one of the most innovative health systems in the country, one with an impressive one with an impressive array of new programs and an ambitious master facility planned. He does this with a unique leadership approach he calls leading with love. Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am fine. And thanks very much for joining this podcast. Great to be with you. Now, since uh, I, I love to talk innovation, we're going to jump right in with that. Uh, how? Tell me a little bit about your innovation strategy at Tampa General. You know, what are the priorities and challenges you face? You know, our, our strategy around innovation is is very organic. Um, so, and what I mean by that is it is it comes from the bottom up and from the top down. And so what we expect in our culture is we expect every single one of our team members to innovate. We expect every one of our team members to challenge the status quo. We expect every one of our team members to ask difficult questions and be constructively critical when looking at processes and systems. At the same time, we expect our leaders to think innovatively. We expect our leaders to uh, be appropriately disruptive when it comes to looking at the industry and finding new and better ways to do our work. And then those two sort of approaches meet in the middle. And what you create over time, because this does take time, what you create is a very innovative, dynamic, collaborative environment. Yeah, disruptors, disruption, is it's a popular term in healthcare now. Uh, we just got back from the health conference out in Vegas, which seemed to be dominated by disruptors. How do you define disruption in healthcare? Well, you're right. The word just being, you know, the whole concept of being a disruptor or being disruptive in a good way um, is sort of in vogue right now. Um, I believe one of the ways we're going to sort of untie the Gordian knot of healthcare uh, in our industry is sort of by innovating from the inside out. I think it's important that health systems get comfortable with collaborating with venture capital and private equity. I think health systems need to get comfortable with tapping entrepreneurs with innovative uh, ideas, innovative solutions to some of the toughest problems in healthcare. But I also think it's important that health systems get really comfortable with disrupting themselves from the inside out. And I'll give you a very quick example. Mm -hmm. We have built a hospital at home service line. We built that service line in collaboration in collaboration with Shields Health Innovations. And Shields Health Innovations is a group of, of, of venture capital folks, private equity folks, um, entrepreneurs, real innovators in the Shields organization that partners with health systems like ours and we literally built the hospital at home platform inside the walls of our institution. And we built that platform to solve real capacity issues 
inside the health system because we're in health system that is typically at capacity 12 months a year. It, it's a good problem to have, but it's certainly a problem we still have to solve. So we identified the problem, we brought the team together through a partnership with Shields, and we built a set of services and products to solve the problem. We've done that. We've been running hospital at home inside the walls of TGH specifically for over a year with great results. Better service, better quality, for example, in the form of readmission rates. Our readmission rate at the hospital at home is 4% right now and has been running at 4% uh, for at least the last six months. And what we're also now doing is we took, we created a company called Shields at Home and we both, we own it with them. It's a 50-50 joint venture. And we're now selling those products, those services, and the processes that go into building hospital at home to other providers across the country, other health systems across the country. That's a good example of looking yourself in the mirror, identifying the real problems that are plaguing you. In this case, the example I'm using is a, compa- a capacity issue and then figuring out innovative ways to solve the problem with a partner. And in our case, we chose Shields because they share the same vision of healthcare, they share the same values around healthcare, and they're some of the most innovative people I've ever worked with, and they're real operators. And so that's what I mean by disrupting from within, Mm -hmm. leveraging venture capital, private equity, and a business and entrepreneurs to help solve real problems. It's been a huge win for us. It, it sounds like it's a strategy based more on collaboration than competition. A hundred percent. Very well said. We need to do a better job in this in, in our industry at collaborating and partnering with people than we have historically done. Yes. Nice. Now, what are the what are the challenges you're facing in 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 developing this this innovation strategy and, and putting it to use it's very difficult to be truly innovative in healthcare it's a slog I'll, I'll be very candid about it our industry is dynamic our industry is filled with wonderful people doing really important work but our industry tends to be slow it tends to be fragmented it tends to be siloed people tend to resist change um, because it's rooted, people rooted in decades and decades of, of, of history and legacy. So innovating is just really difficult to do in our industry for some of those reasons. So what we've done is we've looked at our culture and we work on our culture every day. We work on our culture every day and we're, we are creating and we have created, but we're continuing to curate and create a culture that is predicated on what we just talked about. It's this idea of trying new things, exploring new ideas, building new programs, failing fast, learning from our failures, picking ourselves up, dusting ourselves off and pushing ourselves forward. That's all about culture and changing culture takes time. You have to be intentional about the work 
And so we've really, really focused on building a culture of true innovation. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, from the bottom up and from the top down, that's yeah. what we're working on. And I will t- I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, it works. I mean, if you look at our performance as a health system over the last five or six years, it's been breathtaking to see what this team has been able to accomplish. And when people ask me around the country and quite frankly, in other parts of the world, how are you doing the work that you're doing? I tell them it's based on our culture of innovation that constantly is being curated every day. Nice. Now, with uh, with with innovation, with this with this strategy, a lot of these new tools, technologies, you need money. <laughs> and in this economy, it's there's not a lot of money to be spent on new ideas and technologies, especially in healthcare. How how do you get hospital leadership on board with with funding for innovation? You, you've got to. It, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Again, a great observation. It's a tough market right now because the industry's faced with all sorts of headwinds. Mm. However, the way we do it and the way I would suggest others do it is you've got to look at the clear ROI. Okay, so what we do is we'll look at a project, we'll look at an initiative, we'll look at a business, and if there's a clear ROI, um, we'll do it. Or if there's a, if the solution can make an, a, a real difference in quality, in patient safety, in our you know we have a we we're on a journey of becoming a highly reliable organization from from the quality kind of perspective. If it fits within that journey related to high reliability, we'll also do the project and we will find the money. I would submit to you that most big systems like us have access to capital. It's just a matter of what you prioritize and where you place those dollars. And how we do it is we do it based on a traditional ROI, but we also do it based on the journey that we're on from a quality, safety, and clinical outcome perspective. And we make, the team makes very good decisions around that. And we, there are trade-offs. You can't do everything. You can't say yes to everything. It has to tie to your strategic plan and your vision. When you put all that together, it really works. It really can, it works. I mean, we're doing it. I gave you an example with Hospital at Home and the Shields organization. We're, we're, we're making this happen. And if we can, and if you can, if it, if it can be done at Florida Health Sciences Center and all of the family of businesses that make up the Florida Health Sciences Center, it can be done in any health system in America. Yeah, uh, certainly a hospital home is an interesting uh, uh, program that's pretty much born out of uh, the pandemic. And with born, the, out of the pan- born out of the pandemic, supported by our federal government. Yeah. And it's a truly innovative program that has been an enormous win for health systems that have embraced hospital at home from not just the, like I said, not just from a service perspective, but from a clinical outcomes perspective as well. Yeah. And now, patients with, love it. Eric, patients <laughs> love it. They, they absolutely adore it. Certainly. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to recover at home right. rather than exactly. a hospital? Exactly. <laughs> 
Now, with these programs, these new programs, these new technologies, do you feel that ROI or the value has changed? You know, are, are you looking at different uh, benchmarks now than you used to look to determine whether something is sustainable? Yeah, that's a great question. We're looking at ROI over years, not over a year or a quarter. Mm-hmm. A lot of health systems want to see an ROI in the first quarter or two that they implement the new solution, or a lot of systems want to see an ROI in the first year or two. We look a bit longer term. We look, what does it look like in three years? What does it look like in five years? Now, if you're not a system that is either capable of doing that or unwilling to do it, then innovating is going to be harder because true innovation doesn't necessarily add value day one. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of really interesting work out there that can add immediate value to health systems. But most of the time, innovating and building new programs and building new services and improving performance takes time. And you have to think of it longitudinally. And when you start thinking about things in three to five year increments, decisions, the way you make decisions change. And what I try to encourage my team to do is look at these innovations over a three to five year time horizon. Don't try to make a decision based on the first three months or six months or 12 months, particularly the big ones. Hospital at home, just because I'm using that as an example, and we've got dozens of examples, but most people listening can relate to hospital at home because lots of people are doing it and most people have heard about it. Hospital at home is not a, we're going to see the results of hospital at home within the first three, six, or 12 months. Our our plan was we're going to invest in hospital at home, and we're going to look at the impact it has on our health system and the patients we care for over three to five years. When you start looking looking at it like that, Eric, you start making different and better decisions, in my opinion. It, it, it's certainly a, yeah, a, a, a facet of innovation that you have to look at long-term results. Is that okay with your CFO, not seeing a, a return for three to five years? Not always. Not, not, <laughs> not always. I have a wonderful, wonderful CFO. Um, I always joke with Mark and, and I share with the team, he is a CFO with a really big heart. Mm-hmm. And he is a CFO that understands the importance of strategy but he's also very practical and he has his hands firmly on the financial steering wheel of the health system. So it's a, it's, it's a give and take. It's a push and pull. We have really good dialogue. And in some cases we argue with each other in a healthy way. And, but we're both here for the exact same reason, to make sure that the health and wellness of this organization is not only stable and growing, but is stable and growing for the next 20, 25, 50 years. So we think like that a little bit. And so it's, 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 very, it's a very healthy relationship. And I love when he coaches up. I love when he pushes me. And I love when sometimes he just says, no, John, and this is why I don't think we should do it. I mean, ultimately, as a CEO and any CEO listening, you ultimately have the the final word and you can vote your 51%. But I encourage my team to coach up. I 
encourage my team to be constructively critical. And my CFO does a very good job at that. And that's that push and pull when we're meeting. We just met actually before this podcast. And we were taught we're, we're ending, you know, we're a September 30th health system. We're ending a really successful year right now. So our our fiscal year started October 1st. So our fiscal we're into we're in the first three weeks of fiscal year 24. Um, we're, we just ended fiscal year 23 in a really really good spot, not just financially, but from a quality perspective and clinical outcomes perspective and safety perspective. Um, but we were just debating about the first quarter of 2024 and where we need to be careful and 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 where we need to be a bit slower in certain things and where we need to accelerate some other projects. And it's 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 a very healthy conversation going back and forth. So, yeah, my, I can I, I, I can make my CFO anxious a little bit because I'm always pushing uh, the organization forward. But we have a it's a very good relationship where we hold each other both accountable for the decisions that we're making. I mean, I, I really I'm blessed to have him. I mean, he's 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 a special person. That's great. Um, OK, we've we've talked to hospital home as one of these new uh, endeavors. Um, what are some of the other new uh, programs or technologies on the horizon for you? And, you know, one I can throw out immediately is AI, which everybody is talking about. But, you know, how you know, how are you approaching AI and, and some of these other new ideas? Yeah, we, we've been in the AI business for five years. So mm-hmm. when I got to TGH or Florida Health Sciences Center in the first year, we engaged GE Healthcare to, to basically leverage what I would call AI light technology with predictive analytics, digital twin technology and process engineering, lean work. So lean principles of re-engineering. We built together a 8,000 square foot care coordination center called CareCom that is basically the central nervous system of the entire health system. It looks at efficiency, it looks at effectiveness, and it looks at quality, and it uses these technologies. It has reduced our average length of stay by almost a day. It has reduced our cost by well over $50 million. it has improved quality and it's made us a better and stronger and more resilient health system. And I'll give you two examples of what I mean by that, just to kind of put a finer point on it. Yes. The first, the first example is the work we're doing with septic patients, septicemia. Septicemia is the leading cause of death in hospitals in the United States. It's really not because hospitals don't know how to manage a septic patient. The real one of the one of the real drivers behind it is that when you become septic, it's very insidious and sometimes hard to identify. And sometimes when you identify it, it's sometimes too late and you're now catching up to the patient being septic and it's hard to catch up to it because it moves fast and it can kill you quickly. What we've done is we have brought in through our work in our care coordination center, we've built a tie, some tile technology, and it's mostly predictive analytics, a little bit of AI, lots of process engineering, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we've built a tile technology 
that monitors 14 clinical indicators on a patient that is septic. If any of those clinical indicators go the wrong way, we are able to dispatch diagnostic technology, therapeutic technology, and multidisciplinary teams to the bedside of that patient proactively. Since the inception of the work, which is, and we started it about a year ago, we have saved well over 200 lives that otherwise would have not survived being septic because we're being incredibly proactive in how we manage that patient by leveraging AI and predictive analytics and process engineering. It's been an enormous win. And for the listeners to think about this, this is over 200 men and women that get to go back to their homes, back to their families, and back to their lives. It's very powerful. Another quick example would be in our operating suites. Mm-hmm. Our hospital has, um, we do about 47,000 surgeries a year. And the 47,000 surgeries a year out of our main facility, that's a lot of surgery. Mm-hmm. We now have technology that allows us to identify what, not only what type of patient we have in one of our ORs, but where that patient needs to go once they leave the OR so they go to the right bed the first time. And we're and we're monitoring capacity and utilization on these specialty units. And the systems are telling us that this patient that just came out of neurosurgery goes to this type of ICU or this type of neuro unit with this type of support. And we're doing that several days in advance of the patient coming into the hospital, that we already have an idea on where that patient is going to be placed after surgery. That's light AI, that's predictive analytics, that's that's powerful. So those are a couple of examples of what's happening uh, in our care coordination center. leveraging this kind of technology. It's been a really, it's been really good work by the team. And some nice clinical outcomes from that as Uh, well. Outstanding clinical outcomes. And we also use an organization called Palantir. They have been Mm -hmm. incredibly impactful to our organization. Anything with ChatGPT just yet, or is that still on the horizon? Well, I mean, I use ChatGPT to write poems to my wife and kids. That seems like it's kind of fun and novel. Yeah. I wrote my I wrote my first poem to my wife and she loved it. And then she was, <laughs> I think an hour later, she called me. She's like, you didn't write this. There's no, there's no <laughs> way you wrote this. And I said, well, in the interest of being completely candid, I didn't write it. I just told chat GPT what I wanted to say. And it produced this wonderful poem. Um, I was fooling around with it. I think chat GPT has an incredible future. We're exploring it. You know, look, we've got to be careful in our industry not to get swept up in the AI craze. Um, What we've done is we've sort of bifurcated the organization. We use AI right now on the business side of our operations. So it's we use AI for coding. We 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 use AI for revenue work. We we use AI for that kind of um, uh, that kind of work on the clinical side. We're taking a much more cautious view on it because if you get too excited about AI and you use AI too quickly in the clinical setting, you could unintentionally hurt a patient. 
You want to be very thoughtful about this. You want to be slow about it. And you just you want to take your time, everybody. I mean, it's exciting. I get it. And lots of health systems now have chief AI officers and all sorts of things like that. We are not going we're not looking at it that way. We're being very deliberate, very thoughtful. And we've like I said, we've sort of split the organization in two. We use AI now for business operations and we're using AI for clinical operations, but we're doing it very slowly and i just gave you two examples of how we're using it um mm-hmm. and it's having an impact but that's kind of how we look at it my final word on this would be is ai here to stay absolutely am i, am I excited to see it evolve and build and grow i absolutely am will it change the lives of the knowledge worker in our world it will Think of this for a second, and then we'll we can leave this because we don't. I'm sure we don't have time to go deeper. AI is going to change the lives of knowledge workers. It is no. Di- it's it's analogous to the assembly line that was created in the industrial age and the impact it had on the blue collar worker. AI is basically going to do the same thing for the knowledge workers. So very. So we've. It's it's it, this is powerful. It's very constructive, and, it, and if it's used appropriately, it can change for the better the way we operate in our world. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I certainly love to, to to keep talking about that. But yeah, being mindful of the fact that this uh, we're getting to the end of this podcast, and I can't let you go without without that one last question. Um, I was told that your philosophy for philosophy for management is leading with love. Can That's you tell right. me a little bit about that? Yeah, it actually ties to culture. Um, mm-hmm. It actually ties to this cultural, uh, this culture of innovation. So when, so when we, when I talk about leading with love, we lead with four attributes, and we train on this. Every one of our leaders goes through lots of training. Every and I that I personally teach along with a team of people. Um, we lead with authenticity. We lead with transparency. We lead with kindness, and we lead with vulnerability. When you are your authentic self and you are genuine and you present yourself to the organization and to the teams you're responsible for as who you are and you don't spend time trying to be something you aren't or something you think the organization wants you to be, you become very relatable to the people that you lead, that you lead, excuse me. Number two, when you're transparent and you share everything with your team. You share what's working, you share what's not working, you share the successes, you share the failures. Trust builds in the organization, right? Because mm-hmm. people don't have to figure out who you are and they don't have to guess if what you're saying is actually what's reality or not. They just they get to know you as as a real person. Again, trust improves. If you need to be kind hearted. You need to lead with love and empathy. This world needs it. Our country needs it. Our strength is our unity. Our strength is our diversity in thought and in all sorts of things. We need to bring that together. We need to bring people together through acts of kindness and understanding and love. And then finally, being vulnerable, admitting when you're wrong, admitting when you make a mistake, um, admitting when you don't know something very powerful. When you operate like that, three things happen in an organization. 
trust improves, psychological safety improves, and, in, and team member engagement improves. And when you see those improvements happening, people become very innovative very quickly because they're not afraid if they fail, they'll get in trouble, for example. And what you start to notice is organizational performance starts to improve. And in my world, from a clinical perspective, from an operating perspective, and from a strategic perspective. I'll give you a couple of very quick examples to underscore that. In the last five years, this institution has grown its net revenue by over a billion dollars. In the last five years, this institution has gone from 17 locations with one hospital, one big academic hospital, to 150 locations with six hospitals. In five years, we have improved our quality exponentially around clinical outcomes, safety, and quality. When you look at the performance of the organization and people ask me, how did you do that? And how are you outperforming most of the industry? It's our culture. It's how we lead our people. It's how we engage in conversations. It's how we innovate. And it's predicated on those four attributes. It works and it works year after year. And then finally, when people say, yeah, but that's sort of anecdotal evidence, John. I, I have spent the last five years studying this. My doctorate is in management and social science, and um, it's focused on this construct. What I just laid out for you is well-documented, well-researched, and peer-reviewed articles, it, and there's plenty of data that supports that this, what I just laid out for the listeners, actually works. And there's a stickiness to it, Eric, meaning it's not the program of the month, it's culturally who we are, and there's a real stickiness to it in the organization, which is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we've been able to perform well year after year. You are passionate about I innovation and culture. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I think, quite, Eric, I am very passionate about it because our industry needs more of it. We need more of this. I'm telling you, we're in a collision course. We're in a, we are on a trajectory that is unsustainable. I believe the solutions to change the industry lie within the industry. There are wonderful people. There are wonderful CEOs and executives across the industry. There are wonderful physicians and nurses doing really innovative work. So the solutions actually rely in the industry itself. It's our responsibility as leaders to untap the potential. That's, there's a lot at stake here. Yes, uh, yes so I am very passionate. Well, okay. Uh, John, that was very good. Thank you very much for uh, taking part on our podcast today. Uh, uh, there's a lot to fathom here and a lot to, lot to learn. Yeah, it's a very complicated industry. Yes. Okay, thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We will be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.